Hi everyone, I'm John C. Morley, the host of the J. Moore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. engineer, and it is great to be with you, podcast host and podcast coach, for lots of my great programs. And first, happy, healthy, amazing, abundant 2024 New Year to you, your family, your loved ones, colleagues, and friends. I hope it is the best year ever for you yet. And we have an exciting show, and I'm so glad because this is the first show, ladies and gentlemen, of 2024. January 5th, 2024, and we got some great guests coming up this year, too. But we'll get into that in just a second. But before I do get into that, you know, whether you're watching us live here um, or you're watching a replay or you're catching us on the podcast the uh, day after, because, you know, that's when our, our podcasts actually do come out. I want to just give a big thank you to everyone, because right now, OK, the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. If you guys didn't know, the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, again, which is a show that comes out weekly every single Friday. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The Jay Moore Tech Talk Show is now at 12,000 downloads. We're growing. Again, um, not as fast as IFYL, which is actually oh, over 100. And I think we have now close with IFYL. I think we have close to 100 and what is it now? I think we have 120 or 100 and. Maybe more than that. We're right around 100 and say where we are. That's exactly. We're at 120,000 downloads right now at IFYL. And just yesterday, we had a couple thousand downloads. So uh, we're definitely growing. And yes, we have sponsorship opportunities. If you guys want to associate with our brand and connect with the people uh, that we reach out to. All right. So a little bit about me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. Really do appreciate that. I'm John Seymour, Lee Serial Entrepreneur, and ladies and gentlemen, I am a podcast host and a podcast coach, and I'm a specialist in helping businesses tell their story so they'll be able to scale and, of course, be more profitable. Now, I typically do work with companies that bring in $10 million or more. They either know their story or they want to find their story, and I'm happy to help you derive that from the core, from the truth. This is the Jay Moore Tech Talk. Uh, 2024, Unleashing Future Tech today. Uh, we are on Series 3, which means we're in the third year, ladies and gentlemen. That is an awesome, awesome accomplishment. And I do want to say thank you for all of you guys that have been following us for quite a while. And I also, ladies and gentlemen, want to let you know that we are on Show 1 for 2024, Series 3. All right. So without any further ado, let's get right into the show, shall we? All right. So you guys know our our uh, our series, you know our show. Um, so the first thing I want to talk to you about, since New Year's uh, was not too far away, just about five days ago, um, I want to talk to you about technology to make 
your achievements a reality. Now, you might be saying, well, John, you know, how is technology going to help thee? Well, technology can actually be a catalyst to motivate you, um, to um, give you the KPI, key performance indicators that you maybe didn't know, um, so you're able to measure. And technology can also give us a way uh, to do things that save a lot of time. So one of the things that I think is great to use uh, when you're setting technology, uh, sorry, any kind of goals, is to have a digital pocket, uh, digi digital pocket recorders. So um, somebody asked me about this, uh, you know, a few weeks ago because we were also talking about, ladies and gentlemen, on my um, on my other show. And people say to me, John, you know, what pocket recorder should I get? And there are a lot out there. Let's discuss it. There are a lot out there. And you're probably saying, so which one, you know, which one is the right one? I mean, they all seem like, you know, they're, they're good. And, and you can get recorders for like, you know, $41. Uh, you know, you really can, you, you can get stuff out there that is, you know, pretty good. But when we're talking about, you know, getting technology, getting stuff that is going to be, I'm going to tell you, like the latest and greatest or the stuff that's going to have things like, you know, the pocket recorder Philips uh, has a has voice uh, act. It's, it's voice activated. So voice activated recorders are really, I'm going to say, uh, very cool. Um, you can get, uh, you can actually get a voice activated recorder, uh, which I'm just going to show you guys right here. I'm just going to pop up on the screen. I'm actually going to share one of my screens so you can see it. And I'm actually going to share, uh, an Amazon screen here real quick with you. So you guys can take a look. And if you're watching the, uh, or listening to the podcast, only the audio version, um, I'm going to tell you what part, so you guys know what it is. So here it is. I'm just going to share the screen right now and I'll just pick that up right here. And so here is the Amazon, just share it right there. You guys can see the screen. So you can see there's one here for $20.86. It's 16 gigabytes, a voice recorder, voice activated with playback, 3072 kilobits per second, up, upgraded portable tape recorder for lectures, meetings, interviews, audio recorder, uh, dictaphone, MP3, USB, password. So that's pretty good. And you can get that all for 20 bucks. Okay, and you see there's some other ones on here. So if I go to like one of the more, let me go to one of the more expensive ones. Let me let me try to do that. So I'm just going to go in here and I'm going to go to my very top and I'm going to type in pocket recorder. Um, pocket, basically pocket voice recorder is what I'm going to put in here. Um, I'm going to type mini. And... Okay, so if I get the one that is the most expensive, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was the Philips. Uh, and the Philips one that I saw, let me see if I can find it here for you guys. Uh, and sometimes you, do, you go to this site, and this is the only thing I don't like about their site is you go to it one time and you can't necessarily find what you're looking for. It's like, unfortunately, it's just, it's just, it's just that way. If I go over here and I'm going to pick the most expensive, so I'm going to pick one that's about 150, 160 and up. Uh, and when I do that, I'm going to be brought with things like the Olympus, the Olympus LS P5 PCM recorder with 
Tresmic 3 microphone, Bluetooth, composite USB microphone, and it's $199.99. And so um, I like this, okay? This, this is a really cool one, um, you know, and, and, you know, neat little neat little features. But, I mean, they have things that are even smaller than this. I mean, they have a voice recorder for lectures, meetings, interviews that is $465. Okay, again, it's because of the size. Okay, it is because of the size. They have a 332 gigabyte uh, recorder, mini recording uh, pen, MP3, $321. You don't really need to get anything like that. They even have, um, you know, but if I, if I search, like, for example, if I want to go back to pocket voice recorder mini, if I go to pocket voice activated recorder, uh, they have one here that you can get 99. Okay. And that's, that is a voice recorder, voice activated. It's very important that you see the word it says voice activated. And that's a pretty good recorder. I mean, that one's by AI worth. I haven't heard of that company, but I mean, uh, the fact that, you know, that's out there and that has basically 5,220 hours. Okay. You also have another one here by, uh, another company here. Uh, a little bit of a, a more of a knockoff company. It's it's uh, $20. Uh, I like buying from like Olympus, uh, Sony. I just feel that they have a, a more quality type uh, product. They have one here from Dictapro, uh, 3097. It's a digital voice activated recorder. And if I scroll down here, we have one for 64 gigabytes voice recorder, voice activated 3399. Uh, then you get into the digital voice recorder uh, lecture series. And so you can go crazy with these, but you don't necessarily have to. You can even get one that's like a key, uh, as like a, um, a key fob. Uh, then there's another one which is actually used. So they have one that's used, which is pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to go back here. And it's actually by a company called Lawmate. Uh, Lawmate. Uh, and the Lawmate recorder, I'll just show you here real quick. Uh, law, lawmate. Let me just find it here for you. Lawmate, lawmate recorder. Sometimes their site is not the easiest uh, to search. Um, let me just find it here for you. So they have a lawmate car key AR three hundred convert audio voice recorder. Okay, so this one here is one hundred thirty seven dollars and twenty one cents. All right. Um, it is, um, able to store 18 hours. Okay. Four gigabytes has a USB interface. You can see a little bit about it there. So it's small seven hour rechargeable battery. It's portable time and date stamp. You can download a computer and one touch activation. And somebody would just think that it is a key. That's what somebody would think. So that's a real cool thing to be able to store. Now they also have a Lawmate, uh, they have the digital telephone and voice recorder kit. They have the Lawmate AR100 key fob style voice recorder, okay? Which somebody would think it's like part of your car. Um, but I like the one that's a key. I think that one is really, uh, that's really cool because you can just put it on your keychain and very easily just touch one button. So these are pretty cool, right? But I bring this to your attention because a recorder is great. It'll allow us to record what we need. I know when I was in college and uh, the professor was talking really quickly, 
I asked permission if I could use a digital pocket recorder. He just said he didn't want his voice being put anywhere and things like that, but I could use it for study and that was fine. So I did. Now, I also want to talk to you about digital calendars uh, and uh, to-do apps. Now, you might be familiar with Google um, and there's some other out there. So Google has a Google calendar. There's even, uh, and you can use it on your phone. You could use it on your computer and it's the same calendar, right? You can create different calendars for different people. And what's also nice is that not only do you have that, but you have a to-do uh, apps function in there. So what you're able to do is create something like pay a bill, uh, call somebody, uh, take out the trash. Um, maybe it's uh, do morning meditation. And when you basically click on it and you know basically let it know that you've completed it, it shows it as completed, which I think is really, really cool. And I urge everyone in 2024 to use, first of all, digital pocket recorders because they can record things that they can always go back to later. They can have themselves or staff actually uh, go back and read that information. So I think that's really cool. And I also recommend that you, um, if you're in a company, that you use project management software. Now, you might have heard of some like Jira and, and, and there's some others out there, right? Um you don't need anything. There's also things like Monday.com and there's all kinds of stuff. There's Microsoft Project. And so what Project Software does is allows us to be more efficient, allows us to collaborate better, better communication. But the most important thing about Project Manager Software is it allows us to get key metrics, to get the key performance indicators from our project. That, that is really, really cool. And I think as we progress into 2024 and beyond, a lot of times we get data thrown at us very quickly and we don't necessarily know how to handle it, how to respond to it. So if you have um, something as simple as project manager software, you can actually figure out what's going on and you can get people in your company to take accountability. So you can know that, you know, Gwen took this, Mike took this, Scott took this, John took this, Joe took this. And it can follow up with them. So I think that is really cool. And not only does it show them they're accountable, it shows the entire team. So it's not like they can just snuff it under the rug. So I think that is a really cool thing. As we're in 2024, we all know that generative AI to create is becoming more of a reality. I should say that it's becoming more reality. And, you know, people are using it for things like... Um, you know, creating some graphics. I don't think it's the greatest thing because I feel that it takes away from the graphic designer. People are using it to even make clips. I'm not a big fan of that either because I think that really cheapens video production. I don't think it really is fair. So um, you can also use generative, uh, like I said, you, can, you could say, hey, you know, I want um, a forest with uh, a teenager in it um, you know, planting lollipops in the ground and then watering them. So you get the idea, you give it the text, it takes pictures and it just kind of generates. That's how it works. And that's what generative AI is. And the way a lot of companies do generative AI is they charge a credit price. So you'll say, John, how much is generative uh, AI picture creation. And there's a lot of tools out there. 
that will do um, picture generation for you. Some are good, some are bad. Uh, one of the real popular ones is da uh, Dolly 3, which is a, a pretty big and a very, very popular one. It takes AI image generation up a notch from its predecessor, Dolly 2, and it's built to craft detail and lifelike images from your text prompts. Um, it's beyond just improved visuals. It has seamless integration into generated images, uh, solving a longstanding of AI challenges, and it's for creative professionals, brands aiming to visually represent their vision, day-to-day -day users that are really focused on AI-powered image generation. But is this really fair? So um, pricing is packaged with a chat GPT plus subscription. Uh, it's free if you, you're in Bing chat. And uh, there's varied pricing for enterprise customers. So chat GPT plus users can access uh, DALI 3 whenever they want. And if you don't have a chat GPT subscription, well, you can still create images with the AI picture generator in Bing chat via the Microsoft Edge browser. Uh, so enhanced image quality, efficient text generation, integration with Bing chat, robust safety features, and DALI's E3 image quality is really towering over its predecessor with a lot clearer visuals and enhanced textures. There are some cons, though. Uh, there's limited editing environments, uh, variable outcomes from requests, uh, absence of the DALI E direct editing tools, which are no longer there. And so the question, though, comes down is how much, how much does DALI cost? How much does DALI 3 cost? And so a DALI E3 um, operates on a per image pricing model which varies based on the resolution and the quality standard. For example, a 1024 by 1024 image will cost you about 40 cents per image. A 1024 by 1792, or let's say 1792 by 1024, it doesn't matter how you do it, it'd be 80 cents per image. And a HD 1024 by 1024 image is 80 cents. So DALI does cost some money. Um, and, um, it's available through chat GPT plus for $20 a month. And it is currently in beta. It is waiving some of the various fields for precise images. And, uh, they're still working out a lot of the kinks of it. Um, but if you want to try out DALI 3, you can now do it for free. DALI 3 is now powering the Bing image creator. And they claim that it's better than before. Um, I have personally gotten to use it with Adobe. Uh, and um, some of the stuff you can do, as long as you're specific, you can do a lot of creative things. My question is, if you create something, who owns that copyright? See, that's the question I have. All right. So these are all some great tools that can help you with your goals. Because, you know, if we create pictures of things, right, or movies of things, our mind starts to map to that and doesn't necessarily know that it's not real. It still feels them. Just like we talked about the kids that are playing basketball and they practice. One practiced every day, one group, one didn't practice, one practiced in the study rooms, you know, closing their minds and visualizing practicing. The same neurons and dendrites fired in their bodies because their mind did not know that they actually were 
um, not really uh, dribbling the ball. So I think that is a really um, cool thing. And uh, we're going to have to see, you know, where that definitely goes. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, Microsoft OpenAI was just hit with a new lawsuit over AI training. Ouch, 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 ouch. I would not want to be Microsoft right now. Uh, so on January 5th today, OpenAI and its financial backer, Microsoft, were sued. Yes. They were formally sued. Uh, in Manhattan Federal Court by a pair of nonfiction authors who say the companies misused their work to train the artificial intelligence models behind the popular chatbot, ChatGPT, and other AI-based services. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I think this is going to cause some issues uh, down the road, a lot more than you know we're probably expecting. But the question is, where is all this going, ladies and gentlemen? Is is there is there a logical conclusion to to what's happening, or is this kind of just getting you know lost in I'll call it the doldrums? Is it getting lost like in nowhere? And I think the biggest thing we're going to see right now is that as we move forward, that a lot of people are stepping on people's toes. I mean, they're stepping on people's toes. This is this is without a doubt. So the New York Times sued OpenAI and Microsoft for copyright uh, infringement um, basically on December 27th, uh, and they're an intense legal battle as well. Uh, the Times is the first major American media organization to sue the companies and the creator of ChatGPT and other popular AI and the platforms over copyright issues associated with its written works. The lawsuit filed in the federal district court in Manhattan contends that millions of articles published by the Times were used to train the open chatbot that now compete with the news outlet as a source of reliable information. So the suit does not include an exact monetary demand, but it says the defendant should be held responsible for billions of dollars in statutory and actual damages, close quote. Wow, that's a little harsh. Uh, related to the unlawful copying and use of the Times' uniquely valuable works. Well, the question is how valuable are they? It also calls for the company to destroy any chatbot models and training data that used copyrighted material from the Times. Uh, in its complaint, the Times said it approached Microsoft and OpenAI in April to raise concerns about the issue of its intellectual property and explore, quote unquote, an amicable resolution. So I think what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to be a consensus of when something can be used. And if it's used, I just see this coming back with a lot of money where people are going to have to pay royalties, almost like, you know, when you have movies and things like that on TV that they didn't have permission to use. So I think that's what we're going to see. And, um, you know, this this opening, I copy tens of thousands of nonfiction books, uh, which is what this current suit is about. And uh, to teach its large language models to respond to human text prompts. And this is all per Hollywood reporter, uh, Julian uh, Sancton, who is leading the proposed class action filed in Manhattan federal court. And OpenAI and Microsoft, as I said, uh, are definitely uh, in the center of the fire. You know, I get that they were doing things for research, but the thing is, if that research is being done and it's going to have an impact of its data, See, that's a real problem. If they were doing it to learn about something, but they weren't going to use their data again, see, that's a different thing. 
they're actually using this as training data, and then they're responding based on that context. See, that is a big, 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 big problem. And the question is, where is it all going to go? Where? Complaints have been said that Microsoft has been deeply involved in training and developing the models and is also liable for copyright and infringement. And uh, Sanction asked the court for an unspecified amount of money based on the fact of the court order to block the alleged infringement. So there's going to definitely be some heads rolling uh, at the courthouse, I can tell you that. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tesla is not just a car company. So they do appear to make cars. And, and, I, and I get that, okay? I, I definitely get that. But their main business, ladies and gentlemen, is not uh, making cars. They're in the software business. Because each time they go and take a car out, that car becomes a little bit smarter, a little bit better, so that it can be, um, let's say, more enhanced next time it does autonomous driving. And the question comes down to the fact that if Tesla is a software company, is Tesla going to eventually sell their data to other companies? Is Elon Musk going to take his engine of how Tesla's working and make Tesla an engine for other car companies? I don't know, but it's seeming very similar to what's happening with the AI industry. But when you drive a Tesla, you agree that every time you drive it, that your data can be saved and sent back to Tesla. So every time it takes a trip, it actually reports back. Did you guys know that? Every time you drive a Tesla... Uh, so many miles, it reports back the trip, okay? Um, I think that's pretty interesting. And so Tesla is a software company, not just a hardware company. They're, let's just say they're more 80% a software company and 20% a hardware company. I mean, yes, they're manufacturing cars, but... What's unique about Tesla is not their metal, not their steel, not their titanium, not anything they're using in a vehicle. It is the way they're using software to gather data to make their vehicle better. Um, that could be battery. That could be a lot of different things that they share with other companies. And my concern with Tesla is who is Tesla sharing this data with? So, yes, yeah, so Tesla shares data every time you take it out for a drive. So your Tesla generates vehicle diagnostic and infotainment system and autopilot data. And to protect your privacy from the moment you take delivery, Tesla does not associate the vehicle data generated by your driving with your identity or your account by any default. So what we're really saying is that Tesla... They say they never sell or rent your data to third-party companies. It includes your personal data and driving history. But I've got to challenge that because if they're taking the data now, even though it's not directly associated with me, if I had a Tesla, it is making the call that the data being used is for this car. Now, it doesn't trace back to me directly, but indirectly, 
I am helping Tesla become a better vehicle. Okay. Tesla corrects data. They collect video data from all the cameras and the accelerators, the brake, the headlights, the wipers, and ladies and gentlemen, the turn signals. So you can shut this off, but it's turned on by default. And Tesla assures uh, everyone that it's anonymized. So there's no real point in turning it off. It's used so they can collect all data at all times. But as the number of Tesla cars on the road has increased, uh, they've dropped to only collecting data either when the car has either self-driving enabled and you turn it uh, and turned it off while the car is in motion, or um, presumably it did something wrong and you overrode it. Uh, the AI, which is the ghost driving, they call it, quote unquote, while you're driving um, and the car is basically driving for you. Uh, so you're not really driving and it finds that it would have been doing something else or it had been controlled in a different way. Tesla's AI engineers are collecting very specific data from their fleets so they can ask the cars to look out for things like uh, horses being ridden along the road nearby and other types of things. And they claim that the reason they're doing this is to make the car safer. It could be. I'm not going to argue that point. But the question still stands is, is your data really anonymous with Tesla? And because of what I've seen with the infotainment system and people risking their lives to get out of the car, I don't trust them. I made a decision a long time ago. I actually had a deposit down for a Tesla and I got my money back because when I heard about these horror stories, I said, I don't ever want to own a Tesla. That was my personal call. Um, I just feel that the software okay, that's in the car is not as good as it could be. I have friends of mine that own Teslas, and they have issues. They have bugs. I mean, when the Tesla car locked and no one can get out, again, let's talk about that again. So there was a bug in Tesla. The car locked, and driver had to smash the window to get out. That is absolutely crazy. So there was a gentleman uh, who was in a uh, Model Y around 100 degree heat in one June. And it was only when his sister arrived and opened the car with a Tesla app, which cracked the vehicle's window in the process, that he was able to get out. So... Was the driver trapped in the Tesla after the battery died? So an Arizona man told a Phoenix TV station that he was trapped inside his Tesla Model Y during the 100-degree day, as we said. And quote-unquote, I couldn't open the doors. I couldn't lower the windows. So the question is, why did this happen? Can you get trapped in a Tesla? And numerous Tesla owners say they've been trapped inside their EVs after they lost power. Tesla comes with manual door releases, but they can be hard to find without the owner's manual. Insider uh, people have compiled a guide and insider website on how to find them in a range of different Tesla models. 
So how do you manually open a Tesla door if you lose power? I think that's really uh, the question for today. Um, they claim it's not hard. The door release, as I said, it can be tricky to find. And uh, it's not labeled. You don't know it's there unless you know it's there. And to help Tesla owners avoid getting into the same situation, um, as I said, Insider had put together a guide with the manual door release in the Model S, 3X, and Y. So to manually open the front door when a Model S loses power, you need to pull up the release tab that's found in front of the window switch. Let me say that again. To open the front doors when a Model S loses power, you need to pull up the release tab that's found in front of the window switch on the door panel. To open the rear doors, pull back the carpet, really, behind the back seat to expose the emergency door release cable. Then you just need to pull the cable toward the center of the car. Seems like an awful lot of work to me. Um, on the Model 3, the owner's manual states, and I quote, only the front doors are equipped with a manual door release. So we got something in the back. I guess they're like out of luck. Uh, to open the front doors in the event that the car loses power on the Model 3, you need to pull up the manual release that is located just in the front of the window switch panel on the door. On the Model X, the front doors of the Model X can be opened using a manual door release that you can find in the front of the window buttons, according to the owner's manual. If the power drops out, you can open the rear door using a mechanical release found behind the speaker grill, which you need to remove from the vehicle's door, according to the manual. So I don't know about you, but I'm not very comfortable in a car that I don't know how to get out of. I think that is really a serious problem. So uh, I want to talk about something else that's interesting with uh, where we're going with technology, and that's exploring digital convergence and digital twins. Well, that's an interesting thing. What is what is digital twins? Fidgetal and digital twins. So um, I think uh, a lot of people are probably just wondering what does it really mean? Right. What, what does it mean when we talk about fidgetal, fidgetal twins, right? Fidgetal, um, fidgetal twins uh, and AI. Like, what is that all about? And um, I think a lot of people right now are being given, I'm going to say they're being given misinformation. I wouldn't say it's on purpose. I would say that they just don't know what they're talking about. So people are speaking in turns, uh, I should say false tongues, but they have no idea what things are. So official convergence and digital twins, it's a novel concept that refers to the space created where the real and the digital word worlds kind of overlap. And the two are kind of, let's say, merged together with technologies such as AR for augmented reality and virtual reality. And immersive experiences are broken down uh, through now the blurred lines between the two. But we're going to start to see a lot more of this. And I think as we do, it's going to change and shape the we as the world is known today. I think that's the biggest thing. So if we understand that the car, 
uh, or whatever technology you're talking about. We could be talking about marketing. We could talk about um, help. We could talk about uh, manufacturing. We could talk about green. We could talk about carbon capture, synthetic biology. We could talk about a lot of things. But the catch is that the trends in this are starting to change. And, you know, the combination of this is people. Why? I think the main reason it's confusing people is that they don't have an understanding. It isn't black. It isn't white. It isn't red. It isn't green. And so nobody can really wrap their hands around it. Digital twins is something we're going to see a lot more of as the world and 2024 evolve. And so digital transformation doesn't end. It's an ongoing process and it's a breakthrough to have, um, let's say the milestones we've crossed in 2023 and more that's coming. So we're talking about things from the generative AI world. We're talking about cybersecurity as a primary um, uh, tenant. Uh, we are talking about the whole concept of zero trust, which I've talked about before. Digital twins and digital convergence is this concept, like I said, talking about the different worlds. And we're living right now in a world where real is getting confused. And what we see in one world, which might not actually be reality, becomes our reality because everything else around us seems to transport us there. And this gets us into things like the quantum computing world and other stuff. So definitely going to keep you abreast too, but it also it's going to open things with different lawsuits and different copyright issues. So there's going to be a mess happening with that. And I do have one more topic I want to... Um, unleash on you, no pun intended, is Wi-Fi 7. So Wi-Fi 7 is the industry's new priority, and the whole key for it is uh, stability. Wi-Fi 7 is going to bring to the table um, MLO, multi-link operation, and the 6 gigahertz band promise that there'll be more liability than ever, ever, ever before. So Wi-Fi is one of the most um, challenging things for a lot of people. And although everyone uses it every day, when Wi-Fi arrives, which should be this year in Q1, it will bring with it a new focus on a new image, um, new features that are going to be related to throughput, reliability, uh, getting more data from point A to point B. And it will result in a generation of wireless that is about reliability and, of course, the dreaded word to reduce latency. So the question that a lot of people are asking is what Wi-Fi really needs to do at a point to be reliable. And um, it's about having redundancy. Uh, maybe you have a factory that's producing widgets and suddenly um, a worker decides to step in front of it. And a robot needs to make an immediate decision. It's not about the throughput, but you really want to make sure that your data pack time and, and right away. Otherwise, it could impede operation. Um, so you got industrial automation, you got robotics, you got AR, you got VR, right? And so MLO, which is going to make Wi-Fi 7 stand apart from everything we've seen in the past. It's going to allow devices to spread data across multiple frequency bands. 
Uh, Wi-Fi uses three bands right now, 2.55 gigahertz. Um, and as of 2020, it's been using six gigahertz, right? So whether MLO spreads a signal across one band or now it'll be multiple bands in the same frequency band. So let me say that again. It will spread the signal across multiple channels in the same frequency band. So that means if you were in the five gigahertz channel, we could use three channels. It also could cause an issue with interference with other networks. I see that being a possible issue. Um, Multi-link operation is going to be the new, let's say, the new buzzword. And so it's going to see channel increases from 100 megahertz to 320 megahertz. That's huge. And so it's not going to be available everywhere. And Wi-Fi, um, as you know, uses an unlicensed uh, spectrum of uh, the radio world. And um, this can cause us challenges, too, because there's no licensing. And so where full channels aren't possible, Wi-Fi 7 will include another feature called uh, puncturing. And let's say maybe you're looking for 320 megahertz somewhere, but right within there's a 20 megahertz interferer. You need to look at one side or the other side, and then decide where you're going to plant your signal. So before Wi-Fi 7, you'd basically be struck with about a 160 megahertz channel, either above or below the interference. With Wi-Fi 7, you could just notch out the interference, and you still got an effective 300 megahertz channel. So it's going to be able to do um, what I'm going to call contiguous, or, or not so much contiguous, but non-contiguous um, Wi-Fi banning which is something that we couldn't have before. Um, when do you get it? Well, it's supposed to come out in Q1. Uh, that's actually when the certification is going to be released for it. Uh, it's going to be the first quarter of Q1, so either January, February, March, by the end of March. And it is a delivery of many years of collaborations. And so um, when we think about Wi-Fi 7, you know, a lot's going to happen. Uh, you know, they're ratifying a new 802.11 standard for this. And not everything in the standard makes it into a Wi-Fi aligned certification. So the new version 802.11, it's going to be called BE, will be ratified later this year, as well as after the Wi-Fi certification release. And when Certified 7 is released, manufacturers will bring their devices um, to one of 20 authorized test labs around the world to confirm the device is able to uh, communicate uh, in the specified um, requirements uh, put forth by the Wi-Fi Alliance. So it's the 802.11 BE, that's uh, Bravo uh, Echo. And so meanwhile, um, they're working on this and they're also starting to work on Wi-Fi 8. So the big question that a lot of people say is why do we need it? Well, we need Wi-Fi 7 because Let's face it, Wi-Fi 6 has just had some issues. And so if I had to sum this up in a, in a nutshell, uh, the fee new features uh, of Wi-Fi 7. So there's going to be some major changes. Um, I think the biggest thing is going to be the reliability, the still stability, talking about that. Um, the fact of being able to transmit on multiple frequencies within the same band. I think that is, you know, very, very huge. And I think a lot of people are going to be 
a little bit taken back in the beginning by this because now that we're starting to cut down latency, they're hopefully saying to either zero or very minimal. And network capacity is going to be able to support advanced features like the 320 megahertz channel and the 4K QAM, advanced multi-link implementations, uh, high band simultaneous multi-link. Uh, there's a lot going on. And so the question is, you know, do you have the right, are you, is your laptop, is your computer going to have that? Probably not right away. And so there's a lot that's going to happen, but I feel as this releases, it's going to give businesses, industries, um, the collaboration of large data. So whether we're talking in a warehouse like for Walmart, for Amazon, they're not going to have those dropouts like they usually do, right? It's not going to be like that. Because now, think of it like this. If a laser beam was able to focus down on a certain point, okay, and it could get like maybe a half an inch to, to the uh, target. But if I used a different kind of laser beam that had more precision, I could get within 0.1 of the target or that because I'd really be on the target. So by us using these new technologies and these things we're working on, it's going to allow things to be more resilient, um, more um, reliable. And by being more reliable, it's going to mean that the company's going to increase and that their time of production is going to go down uh, for how long it takes to do something because they won't have to wait for these autonomous systems to communicate back and forth because they had a data uh, packet drop. And you might say, John, what's the big deal if a, a, a data packet gets dropped? Well, like we said, picturing somebody in a factory and you walk in front of them and now that packet can't get back to the server to make that analysis to what it should do, that robot might have to sit there for maybe a minute because it missed a packet or it might lose 20 seconds. Now, what's 20 seconds? It could be a lot when you're talking about a large factory. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur. You know, it's been an amazing privilege, a pleasure, and honor to be with you this fantastic evening. Definitely like, love, support the channel. Go to BelieveMeAchieve.com. And ladies and gentlemen, you know who I am by now? Sure you do. I'm John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur, and I'm a podcast host. I'm a podcast coach. And I'm a specialist in helping businesses tell their stories so they will be able to scale and, of course, be more profitable. Now, I typically work with companies that bring in $10 million or more, and I love to help people find the core, the truth, the root of why something is being done. If they don't know, I love to help them find that. Do check out BelieveMeAchieve.com. Do go to JC Academy and do check out TikTok and become one of my followers. Trying to reach 3,000. Also check out my mindful uh, daily meditation, which I think you'll really, really love. And I've got some other cool things there too. So check out all those great categories. I'm going to see you real soon. Again, happy, healthy, prosperous, abundant, wonderful, amazing New Year to all of you. Again, so grateful for all of you following me now in our third year and for your support, for your comments, for your likes, for your shares. But don't forget to join me on TikTok, everyone. All right. All right. Be well and take care, everyone. Be well.